morning. Uh, as you were told earlier, my name is Heath. I'm the RUF campus minister at Virginia Tech. And it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Uh, Essen, thanks for having me. Uh, you told me to introduce myself a little bit. Um, so this is my 10th year with RUF, my fourth year at Virginia Tech. And I want to thank Tabernacle, one, for having me. But if y'all don't know, um, Tabernacle has been supporting RUF at Virginia Tech. I looked it up this morning since 2005, almost since the very beginning of RUF at Virginia Tech. So thank you so much for that. And some of y'all support us financially and in prayer. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, RUF is great. I love it. I love being with college students. It's so much fun. If y'all send students to tech, let me know. Or uh, your, your kids' friends are coming to tech. I'd love to meet them. So uh, we're going to be in John 15 this morning. Uh, and I've been told that y'all stand when we read the Word of God. So please stand and hear the Word of God. It's from John 15. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Please pray with me. Lord, we come to you now as we approach your word and pray for your blessing upon this time. Open our ears and our minds and our hearts to hear uh, the good news that you have for us, the good news that you love us, that we have a savior. So Lord, we pray now for this time that you would be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm originally from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and when I was a kid, my mom would take me shopping with her, and it was awful. We'd have to go to the mall, and she was trying to find a dress or a shirt or something, and on the really awful days, my mom and my grandmother would decide we were going to Atlanta so we could go to multiple malls to torture me for the day. I, I, it was just so boring. And so I would do whatever I could to make it more interesting. I would like to hide in the middle of the dress racks 
And when my mom or my grandmother would then try to find a dress, I would jump out and try to scare them. And let's just say that more than one woman who was neither my mother nor my grandmother were startled on their shopping trip. And then one day, the story is kind of legend in my family. I think I was five. We were at Northgate Mall in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I just took off running. We're at one end of the mall, and apparently I was a very fast five-year-old and dodgy. I was able to get all the way to the other end of the mall, and thankfully for my mom, that day my older brother was with us, and he was able to catch me at the other end of the mall. And due to my exploits, we'll call them, I became one of the kids who had to have a leash when they went out. (laughs) Yeah, you laugh. Now the leashes are cute and fun. They're back like monkey backpacks with the long tails that go to the parents. Not so in 1988. It was a dog leash that attached to my wrist. And so if I hid in the racks of the clothes or I started to run, my mom could just kind of yank on it and I would come tumbling out or come back to her. It was awful. But I always thought of that leash. Uh, I was always connected to my mom, and I always thought of it as the way to ruin my fun. Um, But in reality, that leash, my connection to her was actually keeping me safe. Due to my being a flight risk, That connection kept me from becoming a frantic phone call to the police and a missing child report on the news. Instead of a leash, in many ways, it was a protective lifeline. This morning, in a similar way, we come to our connection with Jesus. And some of us here this morning might feel like Jesus is little more than a leash that keeps us from having fun, keeps us from doing what we want to. I want us to see this morning that our connection to Jesus is the absolute most important and life-giving aspect of our lives. And to see this, I want to look at three things. Why we need connection to Jesus, how we're connected to Jesus, and the fruits of our connection. So why we need it, how we get it, and then the fruits of it. So first off, why we need connection to Jesus. Verse 5, right at the end, it says, For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's use the metaphor that John has laid out for us, the vine and the branches. What can a branch do when it's not connected to the vine? Nothing. What kind of fruit can a branch bear when not connected to the vine? None. What is a branch useful for when it's not connected? Nothing. So much so that verse 6 says disconnected branches are really only good for kindling. And so let's ask the very basic question. If Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, what can we do when we're not connected to Jesus? 
when it comes to our salvation, we can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you and I are helpless. And I don't think we realize just how helpless we are. I mean, have you ever felt completely and totally helpless? I can really only remember one time. I think it was the summer of 2004, or not 2004, 2014. I think it was July, and I woke up around 12, 12.30 at night, and I felt like my insides were trying to explode. I rolled around in bed, I moaned in pain, I stood up, well it really is kind of like that half stand up because I couldn't make it all the way because of just the searing pain in here. I tried walking around, I couldn't do that. I woke my wife Jane up and in between my own groans of pain and her having a conversation with an on-call nurse, we decided that I needed to go to the ER. My appendix was gonna come out that night or so I thought. I couldn't walk, I couldn't drive, I could do absolutely nothing. I couldn't even reach the shirt on the shelf to like get dressed, to go to the place where I could get help. My wife had to drive me, she had to help me get dressed. I I was curled up, moaning in the passenger seat and was utterly helpless. I could do nothing. And what our text this morning is holding before us is that we are all utterly helpless without being connected to Jesus. We can do nothing. Our sin is so great. It is an affront to the God and the creator of the universe that apart from Jesus, we can't do anything about it. And we just got done with Christmas. I think about a strand of Christmas lights for a second. Apart from the strand, an individual bulb is nothing more than a choking hazard for my kids or my dog. It isn't just that our sin means we can do nothing. I mean, that's true. But look at verse 6 again. Being separate from the vine, being separate from Jesus, will result in our ultimate separation from God for eternity. What we have to see is that no matter where we are this morning, whether we would claim Jesus or not, without connection to him, we are utterly helpless. And please don't hear me say this as like pointing the finger at you, that you are helpless. I am helpless. We collectively are helpless. So if that is true, if we are helpless when we're disconnected from Jesus, how do we become connected to Jesus. Even though all of us were created to be connected to God, to be branches on that vine, our sin means that none of us actually are. Our sin has separated us from God. But in, in verse 3, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken. If you remember back in the beginning of John, It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Excuse me. And the Word was God. Jesus is God's Word made flesh. And the commentator F.F. Bruce pointed this out to me, that in the book of John, Jesus is always the living embodiment of his teaching and his Word. 
And so what this is saying is that it isn't just following all of the rules with precision that connects us to Jesus. Yes, it's his word, it's what Jesus says, but more than that, it is actually Jesus himself, the embodiment of those words. It is his life, his death and resurrection. It is Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. We're helpless and dirty and disconnected from Jesus, and he makes us clean and connects us to himself. Where our sin leaves us dead and disconnected branches, because of Jesus' love for us, he takes action on our behalf and connects us to him. When we believe in Jesus for the very first time, when we put our faith in this, we're connected to Jesus. And when I think of faith as trusting, or faith as belief, I like to think of it as trusting on something. Virginia Tech has a lot of engineers that I don't understand anything that they do. Um, I don't understand the physics of what I'm about to say, but I can believe theoretically in the physics of a chair, right? Weight, force, mass, all kinds of scientific words. I don't know what they mean. But I place my faith on that chair when I collapse onto it in exhaustion. That's putting faith on the chair. That is what faith in or on Jesus is like. Collapsing our lives onto him. <clears throat> Think of it this way. When my wife Jane and I, we bought our first house, it had this really terrible pool in the backyard and we wanted to fill the pool in. And my plan was to have the dirt delivered and then I would move it from the pile to the pool via a wheelbarrow and shovel and my sweat. And some of you are shaking your head. The other service started laughing as soon as I said this. So the first truck dumps 20 tons of dirt in my driveway. And I began very slowly to fill the wheelbarrow and move it. And after hours of work and making almost no dent in a 20 ton pile and realizing I'd made no dent and actually filling up the pool, I collapsed in exhaustion, pulled out my phone, called the dirt company back, and had them come use a bobcat, a backhoe. It ended up taking 120 tons of dirt to fill in that pool, and I thought with my own effort, I could do it on my own. In a far, far greater way, we are helpless in the face of our infinite pile of sin and our disconnection from Jesus. No amount of effort will ever put a dent in that pile of sin. And faith is realizing that apart from Jesus, we can't do anything about it. It's putting our faith on Jesus. It's collapsing onto him. It's putting the weight of our lives on him, not our own effort. And so in that collapsing, we are connected to Jesus. We are connected to the vine. We who, due to our sin, are not naturally connected to Jesus are grafted in to that vine. 
And this is a big theological concept called union with Christ, that we are united to our very Savior. And the Bible tells us that once this happens, once we collapse onto Jesus, that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is dwelling within us. And through this indwelling Holy Spirit, we're united to Jesus. We're connected to Jesus. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is mysterious and hard to understand, but I'm sure Essen understands it and would love to talk to you about it and explain it in precise detail. And so we're connected. And then in our text, we get all this talk about abiding in Jesus, abiding in the vine. This word just keeps showing up again and again and again. I think it shows up nine times in our passage. What does it mean to abide in Jesus, to abide in the vine? I mean, very simply, to abide means to remain stable or fixed in a place. In context, I really think abiding just means staying connected to Jesus. And so the question is, how do we do that? How do we abide? I think about it this way. I've got a two-year-old lab, chocolate lab named Winnie, and she's great. She is very, very good at abiding. She is always right next to me. She's following me around. If I'm cooking or washing dishes, like she's right behind me and I will trip on her. If I lie down on the couch, she will come over and sit there and put her head on my chest like as I'm trying to watch TV. She is very good at abiding. In a similar way, abiding looks like trying to stay as close to Jesus as we can. And this does include things like reading our Bible, praying, going to church, taking communion. I saw up there men's and women's Bible studies. Verse 10 says part of abiding is obedience, listening to the words of Jesus, listening to the words of God in the Old and New Testament. Uh, very few people remembered this in the first service, so I'll try again. Uh, if you remember, David Letterman used to host the late night show, and he would do this skit where he would put on this Velcro suit and run and jump off a trampoline and like Velcro himself to this wall. At least some people are nodding in this service. Jesus connected us to himself, but we do everything in our power to Velcro ourselves to him. And ultimately, we're kept there by God who connected us to him, to the vine in the first place. So by God's grace, we're connected to Jesus. And by God's grace, we abide in Jesus. But at the same time, we are doing everything we can to stay there. I mean, is David Letterman holding himself to the wall? No. He's not like gripping onto it. The vel like he is being held there. God is holding us to him. And yet at the same time, we're doing everything we can to stay close to him. So God's grace connects us to Jesus. By God's grace, we abide in Jesus. Even the song we sung. We are, try, we are asking God to continue to abide in us, to keep us abiding in him. 
And that abiding, that connection takes us uh, to our last point, the fruits of our abiding, the fruits of our connection. Sorry. Uh, Before we get into the fruits mentioned in our text, let's just acknowledge the direction of the power of the life, uh, which direction the vitality is flowing. It is flowing from the vine, from Jesus, to the branches which bear the fruit. And I'm not very good at biology. I stayed away from the science department in college as much as possible. And even so much so that I completely botched this in the first service. And I, instead of saying chlorophyll, I said chloroform, which are two totally different things. Um, <clears throat> not chloroform. So this is a metaphor. I understand every metaphor is limited. I know that the leaves on branches are necessary for the health and the vitality of the vine. Chlorophyll, photosynthesis, things like that are necessary. But understand all metaphors when are limited when they're pushed too far. Maybe think of it this way. Think of a phone connected to a power cord. The power is only flowing one way. It is flowing from the the outlet to the phone. It does not go back the other way. It doesn't go upstream. And so we need to realize that the vitality that leads to fruit comes from our connection to the vine. It's coming from Jesus to us. And so realizing that, acknowledging that, what fruit do we see? And the first fruit I want us to see is prayer. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Our connection to Jesus, our salvation, brings us into the very presence of God. We have an audience with the creator of the universe. Someone who is connected to Jesus realizes the privilege of prayer and is someone who prays. And isn't it interesting that the fruit which, only, which can only be produced by God's power working into us through our connection to Jesus actually helps us abide in him even more, to be in his presence even more? So we see prayer as a fruit. And the next fruit that we see to our connection to Jesus is discipline, and not our own discipline, like we're like, "Mm, we're not a New Year's resolution. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, but every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God the Father, the vine dresser, he doesn't just cut away dead branches, He prunes healthy, vital, fruit-bearing branches so that they might bear more fruit. God wants all of those connected to Jesus to bear fruit and can continue to grow in their fruitfulness. So he prunes, he disciplines, he brings about circumstances which are ultimately intended not to crush us, not to punish us, but for our good to make us more fruitful. Think about how, as parents, we discipline our children. 
It's out of love so that they're more fruitful down the line. One of our sons used to like to push people down for some reason. He hurt some people. If he, if he continued this into adulthood, this is going to cost him relationships and maybe jail time. Who knows? We want him to have friends. We want him to prosper. And because we love him, we discipline him so that he will be more fruitful and prosperous when we get older or when he gets older. And so the fruit of our connection to Jesus is loving, fatherly discipline and pruning. And this could be very painful. It could be circumstances we want nothing to do with. It could be a health crisis. It could be a diagnosis from a doctor. It could be the loss of a friend or a loved one. It could be mental disabilities. It could be depression, anxiety. It could be any number of things. But they're intended by a loving father to make us more fruitful for him. And then the next fruit we see come from our connection to Jesus is in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. So we see obedience is actually a fruit of our connection to Jesus. We will strive more and more to be like our Savior Jesus. It's not going to be perfect, but there will be obedience. We will try and try to give up that sin and we'll fail or we'll try to do better and we'll fail but we keep going. It is a fruit of our connection to Jesus. And the last fruit I want to look at is in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I love the outdoors. I love to do a lot of things outside. When I think of joy, I think of mountain bike trails, really good ones. And I think of a trail so fun that I can't help but just shout for the pure bliss and joy of the moment. Or maybe some of you remember uh, Friends. Do you remember Rachel and Phoebe running in the movie or the TV show Friends? And Rachel's doing like the normal jog that we all do. But Phoebe, her crazy friend, is just having so much fun running. Like her arms and legs are going every which way. She is... It is a moment of joy. But the joy that this is talking about, it's not just um, fun or excitement. It's more than just circumstantial happiness. It's not getting the Christmas present we wanted, uh, the end of the year bonus. It is this settled joy that's not subject to the whims of our emotions or circumstances. It's a joy that lasts when my favorite trail runs out. It's a joy in our salvation. It is a joy that is better and more full and lasting than maybe we've experienced. It is the very joy of Jesus in us. It is eternal and is only ever found in connection to Jesus. And what that joy does is it actually motivates us to obedience to discipline ourselves, to pray more, to read our Bible, to be near Jesus, to be around Jesus any way we can. And so we see the fruit of joy 
in our lives as well. And so what do we do with all this talk of abiding, of connection to Jesus? Let me try to apply this to two groups as we wrap up. First off, if we are Christians, if we believe that we have been made clean by the word of God in the flesh, Jesus dying for our sins, then we are connected to Jesus. And even though there are times where we, where we will feel more or less connected, those highs and lows, the fact remains that we are, in reality, connected to Jesus. <clears throat> and we are being called to abide to stay near, to Velcro ourselves to Jesus in whatever way we can. <clears throat> Are we doing that? Are we trying everything in our power, still resting and trusting in Jesus, knowing that our effort doesn't actually earn us anything? It doesn't earn us salvation. It doesn't merit blessing. But are we doing everything we can to stay near our Savior who gave his very life for us? For some reason, my wife loves me. And because of that, I just want to be near her. I want to spend time with her. And her love for me pales in comparison to that of Jesus. So we abide, we try to be near because of that amazing love for us. <clears throat> Even as believers, we can do nothing if we aren't abiding in Jesus. We can't make ourselves fruitful. As much as I want to make RUF at Virginia Tech the biggest and the best, whatever that means, I can't do that on my own. If I'm fruitful in any way, if there's any, as much as I want y'all to hear this sermon and be like, ah, who's Essen? <laughs> Heath is awesome. If there is any fruit from this sermon, it is not from me. Apart from me, I can do nothing. It is the power of Christ flowing through me. And it's the same for each of us. It is the power of Christ in us because he has connected us to himself, the living vine. Even our sanctification, our obedience, our looking more like Jesus, changing our behaviors, giving up that sin that we just seem stuck in. Our heart level change comes from being connected to him. <clears throat> the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs says, from Christ as from a fountain, Sanctification flows into the souls of the saints. Their sanctification comes not so much from their struggling and endeavors and vows and resolutions as it comes flowing to them from their union, from their connection to him. If we're believers, all of our fruitfulness comes from our connection to Jesus. So are we abiding in him? And then second, to those who are here this morning, and maybe all this is new, who haven't believed this, think about our life for a minute. Think about the infinite pile of sin and our own inability to make even the smallest dent. And then we put our faith in Jesus. 
we collapse onto Jesus. If that's true of you, if God has connected you to Jesus, that is the greatest moment of your life. If that's you today, I would love to talk to you. I'm sure Essen or any of the elders would come, would love to talk to you. We can't wait to pray with you, to welcome you into God's people. If that's true, then we Velcro ourselves to the Savior, to the only Savior. And so no matter where we are today, we could have been a believer for 50 years or five minutes. The call is to collapse onto Jesus and be connected to our Savior. And as we go home this afternoon, do everything we can to stay connected to him, to Velcro ourselves to him, to abide in him. Because he loves us so much that he connected us to himself first in our Savior Jesus. Let me pray for us. Our God and our Father, we are piles of helpless sin, and yet you love us. You care for us. You came down in the person of Jesus, and where we are helpless, our Savior Jesus acted on our behalf. He lived and died for our sins and rose again that we might be forgiven and connected us to him. Lord, abide in us. Help us to want to abide in you. Would you fill us with your joy so that we long to be in your presence, to abide with you. Thank you so much for our Savior Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.